this morning, um, I'd like to just take a few moments before we turn our attention to God's word to, um, to just be praying for one another. Uh, I asked permission if I could share this, and I uh, just want to encourage us as a congregation to be praying for, for Dot and Van Van Omeren. Uh, some of you may be aware that they've just been struggling lately. Um, I don't think Van probably missed two weeks of church in his life. Uh, just he's rest, dressed for church, ready to go on Sundays, and uh, many of you noticed that he hasn't been here for the last two weeks. And uh, not today. And so um, Van's been struggling with dementia and uh, has been declining um, in, in phases quite quickly. And, and that's been obviously a struggle for the whole family. And so I just want to encourage us to be praying for both of them. Um, be praying for Dot specifically that, um, you know, it's just a very lonely time. Um, as you know, Dot can't see as well. And so she's home with Van and just uh, each day is a different struggle. But uh, this would also be a good opportunity for us to encourage them personally. And so uh, call first, but but it would be a great encouragement to Dot, I think, if uh, some of us just spend some time and, and ask if we can come over and just visit for a while, maybe stop by for 30 minutes to an hour, and just ask if you can sit with her and, and chat. And you know, She can't see the TV and can't see a lot of other things, so a lot of the things we usually do to divert our attention to things um, Dot struggles with. And uh, obviously, Karma's here, and Kay is here, and the girls are taking great care of their mother and father. And... Um, but there's a lot of struggles that come with this battle. And so, as a church body, uh, they've been very important to our church for many years. Um, they've been here, how, how long has your parents been here, Karma? 15 years? 20? 2007? Okay, yeah, so it's about 14 years. So, um, anyway, great opportunity for us to be ministering to the family. So let's just take a time and pray as a family, and let's be praying for them. And again, I'd like to encourage you, give them a call, and uh, if it's on your heart, and the Lord lays it on your heart, Take the time to just ask if you can stop by and, and visit and pray with her and, and just spend some time. And if, if Van's having a good day, he'd be glad to visit with you as well. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we, we come before you and we're so thankful for this opportunity to worship together. We're thankful for the opportunity that you have put us into the church body, that we can fellowship together, that we can, we can listen to your word together, uh, we can pray together, and we can... We worship you and serve you, and what, what a delight to be a part of the church. Uh, we thank you for saints, young and old, and uh, we particularly this morning give you thanks for, for Van and for Dot, the blessing that they've been to this church for 14 years and, and continue to be. But we realize that we all go through different seasons of life and seasons of change, and, and Father, we pray for them in this particular time that you would bring comfort to, to Dot, that you would bring um, comfort to, to Van, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of um, just the trials of each day and the loneliness that comes with much of that, uh, help us as a body to be an encouragement to them. We pray that you would bless them and that uh, you would bless our church with the opportunity to see how we can serve them. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask this. Amen. Well, um, so we, today we have the pleasure to hear from Mike Shields, who's going to bring God's word to us today. Um, many of you remember, uh, know Cal Swan. Uh, Cal is the superintendent of the Central District, and uh, Mike Shields, this is his first opportunity of being here with us today, and Mike is uh, Cal's successor, and, and uh, I believe, remind me if I'm incorrect, I think the first week that you came on your position was the week that all the churches closed down for the pandemic, is that right? Maybe like two or three days after you started? Yeah, so, so, um, Mike has had a, a, a job, and uh, I've just been thankful for how Mike has led the church, uh, particularly our, our district, which is about 135 different churches, um, into a new season of ministry. And it's been a pleasure for me to work with Mike, 
uh, to work alongside him as a, a co-worker in the gospel. Mike's focus has been on, on helping pastors and churches as they, as they navigate different times of challenge, pastoral transitions. He works with leadership training as well as uh, strate strategic planning. Uh, but Mike um, began his uh, work with the EFCA in 2000. He has his doctorate of ministry from Talbot Seminary and his master's from Trinity Theological Seminary, which is part of the EFCA. And uh, he served in several churches for over 25 years, including Indianola, my old stomping grounds around Kearney, Nebraska. And uh, it's just a pleasure to have him here today. He's been a blessing to me as a pastor. Uh, we just had a meeting this last week, and uh, I'm delighted to have him come and preach God's word today. So if you would turn your attention to God's word as Mike comes. Hey, good morning, church. How are you? You're all uh, uh, enjoying this. A couple of weeks ago, I was at another church. It was 18 below zero and 40 below wind chill. And I'll tell you what, this is beautiful. We love uh, uh, these kind of days in Iowa. I, I just want you to uh, know that I'm uh, getting to know your pastor, Jeff, and his wife, Angie, that, that you have some of our best here. Uh, I don't know if you're, you're aware of that, but you do. And uh, your pastor, Jeff, is both smart and humble, and I love that in, in pastors, just to kind of have the, the heart of the gospel and get the gospel right, but also recognizing uh, the love for the body of Christ. So uh, a wonderful gift that God's given you. Also, we came in here this morning. You're one of the friendliest churches that we have walked into. People don't know who we are when we get here. And yet there was uh, greeting and encouragement, and, and I want to thank you for that. Uh, what a joy to be able to go to many of our churches. And I've been in this role for a little while, three and a half years, and I haven't been here yet. And, and that's typically a good thing. Uh, that's not always great when I show up because there are sometimes difficulties that need to be ironed out. So out of 135 churches in our four states, uh, you are one of the last five churches that I'm getting to. So that is, uh, I'm just, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to share God's word with you today. And let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of the gospel. I want to thank you in, in a culture that so desperately needs Jesus. And the truth of your word, that you give us your word, it is clear, it is powerful, it is life-changing. And Father, I thank you for the DeWitt Evangelical Free Church. I thank you for the people here gathered together, praying, loving you, serving you, enjoying your word. I'm sure that when the word is taught here in clarity, that people say, uh, bring it on. We need to hear from our Lord. And Father, I thank you for the direction of this church and for the way the gospel is alive here and the way that they demonstrate the love for one another that is the fellowship of believers, of the saints. And Lord, continue to bless the work here, I pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Trust difficult for anybody here? Anybody have issues with trust? Any control freaks here in the audience? Anybody with you that's a control freak? Don't, don't nudge them or anything, but um, we all have a little issue with control, don't we? When our, when our daughter, we have two boys, two girls, they're all adults now, we're starting to have grandchildren, and it's a great phase of life. It's an amazing phase of life. When our daughter was eight, our youngest daughter was eight, she did 
have no issue telling me what was on her mind. She just, we raised our daughters to have a really strong no. We felt like that was a good thing. Problem is they used it against me at times. Um, but our, we were getting ready to move from Indianola, Iowa to Kearney, Nebraska. Pastors move on occasion and we had a little family meeting and uh, we were telling our kids it was time to move. And our youngest daughter stayed after that little family meeting and she looked up at me. I mean, she's just a little squirt. She's just about this tall, looks up at me and says, Dad, I'm not going. And uh, I said, well, you, you kind of have to go with us. It would be illegal to leave you behind. You need to be with us. Uh, you're only eight years old. And, and she said, no, you don't get it. I'm not going. And she was digging her heels in. After another kind of minute, I'm, I'm trying to tr reason with her and, and share with her what God is doing, and he's moving us, and it'll be all right. And she said, no. Dad, I have friends. You don't have any friends. <laughs> you know, she was kind of right, but I had a lot of people that I knew, but I, 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 don't, I guess I didn't demonstrate really close friendships. And and uh, in that, I said, okay, you got to go with us. We're not going to negotiate this. Uh, but what can I do for you to make this work for you? She's having a hard time trusting that what is in ahead of her is in her best interest. And she said, when, when we get there, you need to go door to door and find me a friend. And I said, wow, um, I understand that, but that's, there's way too many things wrong with that. I'm not doing that. But I said, would you go with me? And she agreed. And she went with me, and we knocked on every door in our new neighborhood. And I said, do you have a friend for my daughter? We just moved into the town. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And uh, we found her one friend. And, and from there on, she, she just jumped in and became a part of that community. And she had that one friend. And then she had many friends. And she would look back and say, you know what? I was afraid, but God sovereignly was watching over my life as well. He didn't just move you, Dad. He moved me too. And I want you to know that if, a, if an earthly father can do that for his daughter, how much more a heavenly father who is perfect and holy and right and just in every single way, how much more can he watch over all of the details of your life? Everything you do, everything you're walking through, no matter what that season is. And I just saw my, my wife's uh, mother passed away last week from dementia. And around her bedside, I saw the beautiful things of God around that bed. And I'm telling you what, it, God is, is so faithful to his word. And he is so faithful to those who love him and walk with him. And I saw miraculous things around that bedside in love and care for a dear woman who walked with Jesus, served Jesus, and now gets to enjoy him for all of eternity. And the truth of God's word is so powerful. He is alive and he is at work in our lives. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is on a mission. He's on a mission. He's preaching the gospel. And Philip realized that once he heard the gospel and his life was transformed, he realized that he, he couldn't give his life to anything else. It had to be about Jesus. In verse 6 and, and 7, and actually in verse 5 of Acts chapter 8, before we get to the outline, in verse 5 of Acts chapter 8, he said, it says, they proclaim to them the Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. I remember I met a young man from who had moved to our community and started going to our church from Japan. And he could not 
talk about Jesus without calling him the Christ. And I said, tell me about that. And he said, because he is exalted above all things, I have to call him the Christ, the anointed one. Every time he mentioned his name, it was the Christ. And they were preaching Christ in Acts chapter 8. And then it goes in verse 6 and 7, they brought compassion with them. A gospel ministry that is truly preaching the gospel should bring with it compassion. And in verse 8, you see there was much joy in the city. When the gospel comes to a community and God's people are alive in Christ and they bring compassion with them, there ought to be joy. When you move next door to someone and you are a follower of Christ, it should be good news to that new neighbor. It should be good news that you're there. What a challenge for all of us. The message of the gospel plus care for people should result in joy for our cities. Look at verse 25, right before we get to our outline. Well, when they had testified the spoken word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. It was normal for Christians in the first century to preach the gospel and to share it. And when people said, why do you have hope? It was not, well, let me, let me pray about sharing that with that person. They said, let me tell you where I get my hope from. I have to share the gospel. It just exuded, it just poured out of their hearts because they had met Christ. They had met the Christ, the anointed one. And it changed everything about their lives. So what does it mean to live in the flow of the gospel in 2024 in, in the United States of America? a nation that is in deep need of revival and spiritual awakening. Our God is sitting on his throne, and if, and if you're in fear and anxiety today saying, I wish I could change the narrative, don't worry about it. God's got it. Pray, pray and seek him and figure out what he wants you to do to make a difference in this world. But the very first way to live in the flow of the gospel, according to this text, we're going to pick it up in verse 26, is to make room for God's interruptions. Just like my daughter, he will interrupt your life. There will be times that you'll say, I, I didn't want to hear about that diagnosis. There will be times that you walk away from a fresh grave and you say, God, why? There may be times uh, that you're lonely or anxious or frustrated or you just don't know what's next. Maybe somebody who promised they'd be with you walked away from you. I don't know. But I know that there are interruptions in life that God will use for his glory. Make room for them. Open your eyes to them. Look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. God told him to go, go to a desert place. And sometimes in our lives, God even directs us, like my daughter, to a place where she thinks, now I'm in the desert. I like that uh, the author of, of Acts told us it was a desert place, that it was desolate. And he rose and he went. He didn't, he didn't, it doesn't say he prayed about it for a week, but he rose and he went. Because when the Holy One tells you to do something and you know it's in alignment with his word and it's right, and God calls you to be obedient, you just do it. 
And I love that he did. He obeyed here. And wherever you're at in life, if you have something in front of you that God is saying, I want you to do it, I want you to pursue this, and you know it's right, it's according to his word, you've checked it out with other believers maybe, maybe you've done a double check in his word, and you know you need to do it, just do it. Walk in obedience. He arose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, and we'll, we'll talk about what that means in a little bit. A court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. This is an important man. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Listen, he is seeking God. He doesn't know Christ. He is seeking, God, can you, can you do something in my life? An African man going to the temple to stand there and, and, and hope that God will open his heart. And by the way, this is eventually how the gospel gets to the continent of Africa. Many, many historians believe that. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So when he was at the temple, I'll, I'll mention it again later, um, he somehow ends up, maybe someone gives him a little uh, uh, bit of a, a scroll with Isaiah. Maybe he bought it in, a, in an area where you could buy little books of the Old Testament. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over to that chariot. You ever had an angel appear to you? The Spirit of God speaks to him, and, and an angel also. You ever had an angel appear to you? Ever? Nobody's raising their hand. We, d we don't know. We're, we get a little bit freaked out when people start to talk about those kinds of things. We get a little bit like, uh, I'm not sure what the Bible says about it. The only angel that I know who has ever appeared to me is my wife. But other than that, there's no other angels that I'm <laughs> aware of that God's ever brought my way. But I know he has. In Hebrews 1.14, it says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? That ought to be a verse you memorize. Like, God, I know because I'm inheriting salvation in Christ. I know that you send angels as ministering spirits in my life, period. I know it. I don't have to know when they show up. I don't have to see them. But I know they're present in my life. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews 13, verse 2, angels are mentioned. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. There's where it gets a little bit, wow, I wonder what God's up to. I remember recently, in fact, it was in the middle of the pandemic, so it's been a couple years ago. I was traveling up to northwest Iowa and... Uh, uh, all the time. Yesterday, I was, I was in Springfield, Missouri yesterday. We somehow made it up here. Uh, praise God, uh, there, there weren't disruptions along the way. But I was in northwest Iowa. And by the way, um, word of uh, the COVID pandemic really didn't make it up to that area of Iowa. Just want you to be aware of that. Uh, except for restaurants would make people sit in like different seats and wear a mask until they eat and you couldn't like just connect with strangers and whatnot but I'm going up to meet a pastor and he's in a small church kind of a little town and I won't tell you which one it is um, but I'm going to meet him want to encourage him going to pick up some food in this little restaurant and so I ordered and I'm standing kind of by the wall looking at email and uh, you know addressing getting back to people and whatnot so I'm leaning against the wall they said it'd be 20 minutes and the uh Voice kind of, there's a voice off to my right, a man's voice, and I hear this man say, come and sit with me. 
and you know it's pandemic heat of the pandemic you you're you're supposed to go on the other side of the sidewalk right you don't even talk to each other and and immediately i i didn't even look up and i said no nah, i'm good i you you can judge me if you want that was not a very kind thing to do i thought i'm busy got a lot going on and and i was being very selfish and about a minute later that same voice Man's voice, he said, I only asked you to come and sit with me because I'm lonely. And then the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I, I looked at him and I said, can I still come and sit with you? I'm really sorry. And I sat with him and I met Gerald, who was a retired farmer, never married, no kids, no grandkids. He said, I come into town once a week just to talk with people and this is killing me. And I listened for half an hour. Food got cold, didn't matter. But I, I, I met one of the most wonderful people I'd ever met in my life. And I drove away from there, and God said, Mike, you don't, you don't have enough room for me to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you whenever I want to, and you need to be obedient to me. And I just, I wept on my way out of there because I had been so selfish. And what a joy to meet him and know one day I'll see him again. He was a follower of Christ. I was able to pray with him when we got done. But I said, Gerald, you made my day. Thank you. It's such a beautiful way to think about God's work in our lives. And God's at work in Philip, and he, and he meets this Ethiopian. And God says, I want you to go, and I want you to meet him, and I want you to connect with him and stand by his chariot. And he does it. He doesn't second-guess God's call. Second thing is living in the flow of the gospel also means listening to the questions of others. It means actually seeing other people. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him. I love that. He ran to him. Somehow he knew, this is why I'm here. You know that person in the cubicle that just annoys you, across from you? God stuck you right next to them. That person that uh, you might say, well, they get in my way. Or, or, God, why did you redirect me over here? God is always doing a thousand things in our lives. We only know about one or two of them. We need to open our eyes and, and listen to the questions of others. And, and so what happens here is he ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? What a great question. Do you think Philip knew what he was reading? Absolutely. But he asked him a really humble question. He could have said, I can tell you all about that. Man, I'm an expert. In fact, this is what I do. He didn't. He was very humble, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? What an open door. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this person, this Ethiopian eunuch, he was a man of great responsibility, secretary of the treasury of Ethiopia. He had a great responsibility, great influence throughout Ethiopia and Egypt, and he worked with the queen. And her name wasn't Candace, that was her title, like Pharaoh or Emperor, given to all the queens of Ethiopia. 
He was obviously a searching man because he had gone to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. He was looking for something. He was obviously not a Jew. Many scholars believe he was the first, uh, uh, as I said, from the continent of Africa to come to faith in Christ and go back and share. And now we know that half of the continent of Africa are followers of Christ today. It may be traced back to God doing this amazing little interaction. He, 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 had, he was an intelligent man. He was searching. He had come to the temple to investigate the Jewish faith. And you cannot read this account without detecting a little bit of disillusionment in his heart. He's going home, but evidently he's not satisfied because he hasn't met Jesus yet. You know how it is when you pursue religion, but you haven't met Christ? You know how it is when, when you're reading and you don't know, and you, can you remember back to when you didn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord? Can you remember the searching? Can you remember going to church at times when you didn't know Christ and you're like, this, I don't know what it is, but I'm not there yet. Can you remember those days? They're so disillusioning, aren't they? We're searching and, and it seems like we'll never get the answer to why we exist and what we're doing here and why we're struggling the way we are. And this man was at that place. He was awakened to his own need. And now someone, I wonder if someone gave him the scroll of of Isaiah and said, read this. You need to know the one that's being talked about here. He had been to the temple, the outermost courtyard, of course, the only area where non-Jews were allowed. As its name implies, the court of the Gentiles was accessible to Gentiles, foreigners, and anybody considered impure. They would mill about, exchange money, buy animals for sacrifice. They could even buy copies of Old Testament books. So he's standing in the Jewish temple. must have made him feel very out of place. He's a eunuch, and all I'm going to tell you about that is, it. Uh, and you can, you can do a little more research if you want later. I wouldn't recommend a whole lot, but... Um, that means he was likely castrated before puberty, and he was given a higher position. If you'll hang in here with me just a second, he could be trusted with the king's harem, and he could also be trusted with the queen. And more importantly than that, because he was a eunuch, he was also not able to have descendants and would not overthrow the king. So he would be a man of great intelligence. Let me just let me just get you to a point where you're not a threat to me anymore. And now you can serve me. That's what happened, and that's why someone would have been a eunuch. And it would have been a very difficult thing to go through. It would have affected his hair color, his skin. It would have affected him so people would have known there's something different about him. He would have felt very out of place. He's reading Isaiah 53, and it helps you understand uh, the context of it. There's another portion of Isaiah in Isaiah 56, 3 to 5. I wonder when he got there what he thought. Just listen to this. Isaiah 56, 3 to 5. Hear it from the ears of a man who is never going to have any descendants. No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, For the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters, 
I will give each of them an everlasting name, and that will never, they will never be cut off. Isn't that powerful? Can you imagine him getting to Isaiah chapter 56 and saying, that's my God. Give me a name. He'll give me a home. A memorial and a name. You know what? I, I see God at work in our, in our churches, and in a, in a powerful way, our God is at work in our churches. The ones I see God at work in the most as I travel are ones that have gospel clarity, that have gospel boldness, that have compassion for the vulnerable in our society, that see people like this eunuch, and also those uh, that are humble. I see God powerfully at work in those kind of churches. Maybe in, in many ways you see that in your own church. You praise God for that. Third, know the key truths of the gospel. Know the key truths of the gospel. This is critical because if you get in a position like this and you don't know what to say, you might say, but I'll pray and I'll just wing it. And, and you know what? Just try to stay ahead of somebody. You just keep studying. Even if you don't know much and you've been a believer for a short period of time, Know as much as you can about what God did in your life and how he justified you, how he redeemed you, how he's sanctifying you. Know it and study it and get to know God's word because look what it says in verses 32 to 35. The passage of scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? What, what a, he's handing him the question. Then Philip opened his mouth and began with that very text of scripture. And he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Oh, what a, what a great segue. But Philip knew it. He had, he had grown to know who Christ is. He He knew how Christ had transformed his life. It says in 1 Peter 3, 15, in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord and and holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So when somebody says, hey, I got a question. Why is there so much evil in the world? Begin with their question and then just begin to walk through what you know. Or they give you a text of scripture and say, doesn't this disprove the existence of God or something like that? You begin with that text of scripture. You begin to share the good news. So we need to know the truth about God and his word. We need to know God created all things, including you. He is perfect and without sin. He placed eternity in our hearts. We need to know the truth about mankind and sin that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin are death. We need to know that it's both physical and spiritual death. And on our own, we have no way of satisfying God's judgment. We need to know the truth about Jesus Christ. God's son came to earth to live a holy and perfect life. He was the eternal sacrifice for our sins, paid the debt we couldn't pay by suffering and dying on the cross. We need to know the truth about our response to the gospel. Believe on his name. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
in, and in faith we, we believe on his name and we confess with our mouth that he is Savior and Lord. This amazing work of the Holy Spirit, God, God will, he will set you up at times because he wants you to live in the flow of the gospel. I still remember the teacher in high school when I was 17 and I was at the end of myself and I was, it was as if personally, my father had passed away when I was 13. And if you, if you know what it means to be at the end of yourself, it is exactly what it sounds like. You just feel like you have no future. You feel like you're just broken and lost and alone in this world. And I'm wandering and I'm by myself and I feel this. I'm a rebellious teenager and a high school teacher invited me and a friend to his house with his wife to have a Bible study. That was it. He said, you want to come to our house and study the Bible? And I'm like, yeah, sure. A teacher actually showed, you know, interest and we went and I, I came to a saving faith in Christ. My friend did not. I don't know what was happening in his life. I don't know why God plucked me out. I have no idea why God opened my heart. I just praise God for that person who saw me and said, you know, my wife and I are starting a Bible study. Would you come? And the first Bible study, we were the only two people there. By the end of my senior year, there were 60 people in that Bible study. I look back and I think, why did this young teacher come to that little town and take about $24,000 a year salary to go further in debt probably because he felt like God called him there? And the legacy that he left behind were dozens upon dozens of people who came to a saving faith in Christ. I wonder if when they were moving there, unloading their truck, they're like, God, what are you doing? This little bitty town, and, and we can't even pay our bills, likely. I just I thank God for people like that. The fourth thing, and I know I need to speed it up, right, Pastor Jeff? I'm, yeah. you, you haven't given me one of these yet, so I'm, I don't even know what time you end here. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? For those of you online, I hope you're hanging in there with us. Fourth thing is remove barriers to the gospel. So look at verses 36 to 40. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. I love this. And the eunuch said, see, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He didn't go to a baptism class. Now, that's a wake-up call for some of us. We're like, you need eight weeks of baptism class. You need, you know, you better be able to write it out perfectly. This guy, what keeps me from being baptized? Now, he's an Ethiopian, so he looks different anyway. And God is calling him. He opens his heart. God says, I want you to bring the gospel to the continent of Africa. What a joy. And not only that, but he opens his heart. And he's, he's a eunuch, so he's a little bit different anyway. And he said, what keeps me? Is there anything that would prevent someone like me from being baptized? I love that because if we, if we just gloss over that, we miss the fact that he's saying, can I be baptized too? Would that be Okay. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. It was just like a Star Trek moment there. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. You know, if somebody just disappeared, I'd, I don't know I'd go on my way rejoicing. I think I'd kind of look around for the guy a little bit, but 
He just went out of his way rejoicing because it was all about Jesus. Do you know that people may forget our names? We might share Christ with somebody. They might forget who, I, you know, I, I know that churches I served, they're like, was that Pastor Mark or Pastor Mike who was here? I don't, you know, we can go back and some people know us, some people don't know us. Others are like, who is that? Um, but they know Jesus and that's all that matters. They know Christ because he's the life changer. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So he just keeps on preaching. What a beautiful picture, an amazing picture. You know, I think of the, the loneliness of our culture. We live in a culture that is uh, just steeped with loneliness right now. You realize that loneliness is a killer. God made us to have community with others. In fact, in the next year, if you're not a part of any group, you're not connected with anyone, my daughter's word to me, you don't have any friends. It was a real conviction in my heart that maybe I'm not sharing my life in a way that I really need to. And we live in a culture, though, that is so desperate for connection. And people are, are asking, uh, is there somebody who will see me and understand my journey and care about me? In the next year, if you're not connected with anyone and you simply join some kind of a group, studies show that you cut your risk in death in the next year in half just by being a part of a group of people hanging out with others and doing life together. Imagine if that's a Bible-believing group of people who love you and care for you and, and like the gentleman and his wife that you prayed for this morning that know that the body of Christ is wrapping their arms around them and loving them. And when you said, call them, you know, go see them. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the connection in the body of Christ that you have. Enjoy that. Live that. Um, and make, make a difference there. Even as we open our eyes to things in our life that where the gospel is going to flow that we're, we're not even aware of. Where do I start? I'm going to land this really quick. See others the way God sees them is the first thing as far as where do, where do we start? See others the way God sees them. I don't know that you need a lot of dialogue about that. God sees them as a son or a daughter, somebody he created. Not maybe a spiritual son or daughter yet, but as someone who has had the imprint of the, the image of a holy God on their life. He sees them the way, you know the way you see your children who are wayward, the way you I'm always amazed at what parents can go through with their kids. They go the extra mile. They, they'll run down a desert road for them. And we have a God who sees people that way and draws them to himself. Secondly, be available. Live with margin in your day. Anybody have a little extra margin in your day? Just, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, God, I don't know what you're going to do with my life today, but yes. I have no idea what you will do today, but yes. You're Lord, so I need to say yes before you even tell me what to do. Third is share what God has done rather than telling others what to do. Because I was, if God can save me, he could save anybody. If you knew me at 17, you would say, are we sure he can be up here preaching this morning? Share what God has done other than telling it, rather than telling others what to do and then pray for opportunities. And I'll close with this. God wants all of you. It was normal in the first century to just talk about Jesus, to tell people about him. 
I, I would coach almost every team that our kids were on, softball for our girls, Little League for the boys. I would try to coach everything because I just kind of wanted to connect with their parents. I wanted to be there with them, but it was a great mission field. But I remember a little guy named Luke who was on one of our Little League teams, and Luke did not want to play. And I don't know if you've ever had a little guy like that, but he just did not want to play. He was in the dugout, and I said, okay, you, you don't have to play right away, but you've got to play one inning in the field. You've got to bat once. Um, if you don't, we forfeit. That's the rules. You're a part of the team. Everybody has to bat once, play in the field once. He goes, no, I'm okay. I'm good. <laughs> and I said, no, Luke, you've got to, you, you're not hearing me, dude. You've got a hat on. You've got a uniform. You've got to play. And I said, aren't those your parents right over there sitting right behind the fence? And Don't they want to see you play? He said, no, they're good. <laughs> they're okay. <laughs> I said, but your grandparents are here too. They traveled a half an hour. They're with your parents. They travel a long way to come and see you play. He's like, no, they're good too. And I said, Luke, you got it. You got a bat. I'll walk up there with you. So I, I gave him a helmet, gave him a bat, went up there with him. And the umpire was so kind because every pitch, strike one, strike two, strike three, he struck him out. And, you know, Luke is just terrified. And I'm standing close enough that the bat won't hit me, but close enough for him to know he's not. And then uh, as soon as he struck out, he ran back into the dugout. And I'm chasing him. I'm running after him into the dugout. And I, I was hoping his parents were knowing that I was not yelling at him. Because I'm yelling, Luke, Luke. And I got up behind him. I got him in the dugout. And I sat next to him. I said, Luke, I'm so proud of you. Way to go. You know what? You did that. Now, uh, our team, our team doesn't have to forfeit. You were bold enough to get up there and do that. You didn't want to do it, but you did it. I am so proud of you. And by the end of the year, you know what? He was still a horrible baseball player, but he would pick up a bat. He'd get up there. He'd go out in the field. He'd do his thing, what he needed to do for, for the team he was a part of. And I want you to know in the body of Christ, you cannot be whole in the body of Christ unless every single one of you is saying, you know, God, what do you want? I'll do it. That's how the gospel to another, to another, to another. Live in the flow of the gospel. Father, I thank you for the glory of Christ. I thank you for the beauty of the gospel. I thank you for the, the church that loves your word, loves each other, is so thrilled to do exactly what you've called them to do. Lord, help us to live in the flow of the gospel for the glory of Christ and for the joy of your people. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.